Warning, this podcast features adult subject matter, adult language, and things not meant for children to hear. Viewer discretion is advised. You've been warned. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first episode of I'm No Joe, the show where every armchair quarterback can feel like an Eddie Bravo. I'm here joined today by three gentlemen, a little savvy in the ways of the MMA themselves. I'll give everybody a chance here. We will start off with the one and only Ned, I mean, uh, Nicholas Devine. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Um, you can find me on n.divine83 Instagram and YouTube. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, thanks for coming along. Next in the uh, hot seat, we have Richard Head, a.k.a. Uh, Golf T Vapes himself. I'm Golf T Vapes. You can catch me on Wednesday nights on the YouTubes and on Instagram, all Golf T Vapes. Next in the uh, row of killers here, we have the one and only Swaggy Shane himself. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me, buddy. Uh, you can find me anywhere at Vaping Swag or Swaggy Shane. Uh, pretty much any social media outlet is covered. So hope to have fun today. Awesome, awesome. Thank you all, gentlemen, for coming. I do appreciate this. So without too much fiddle-faddle, let's dive right into it. Uh, the first thing I would like to get the panel's opinion on is this last weekend, the UFC Singapore card. The main event, Donald Cerrone, my man Cowboy, versus Leon Edwards. Cowboy gets cut in the first round. Real good. Bleeds for... 23 to 24 of the 25 minutes the fight goes on never shows signs of really getting wobbled never gets rocked too hard holds pretty much essentially most will say punch for punch kick for kick through to the judge's decision and then leon edwards has the stones to talk trash and try and make a call out in his octagon interview i don't get that i think that's a bit much what, what do you guys feel about that I know one of the things is it's very easy to say stupid shit when you're uh, got your adrenaline pumping. So, uh, <laughs> very true. If, if if you're a relatively newcomer to the scene, uh, adrenaline often will make you say things that you regret later. I mean, that's one big thing. Not necessarily an excuse, but that is definitely something to keep in mind. Very true. Very true. I can see that as well. Yeah, I think that um, that's them guys' moments, and it's probably all pre-rehearsed before they even get out there. So I think no matter how they win, you know, that's their moment, and they take it however they want to, you know, however they rehearsed it, really. They know what they're saying before they go there. If well, so you're win. saying he's using, like, a, a, a saying or a speech that he had ready, hoping that he won. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's an interesting thing. I, I can see that as well. You know, on the other side of that, how are you going to talk trash and call someone out when there's plenty of people who have put Cerrone away? You can't go off on a high horse when you can't put a man away that's been put away before by other fighters that are better than yourself. See, and well, that's, I, I agree with you there. Go ahead, Shane. Yeah, it's, I mean, when you're, Cerrone is a journeyman fighter, really. I mean, what is he, like, 40 and 20 or something? I mean, 33, I don't know exactly. 10 and 0. Uh, I'm looking go. at I his mean, record. 33, 10 and 0 with one no contest. So, essentially, a, 45 yeah. pro fights. Yeah. I mean, when you're fighting a journeyman, that's, that's hey, we're, we're giving you somebody who, you know, still has some teeth, but he's been around, and it's, can go one of two ways, you know. When you're fighting a journeyman fighter, he might be on his game specifically that time, or, you know, he's just getting old and ready to retire kind of thing, you know. So Cerrone is just one of those See, journeyman that's kind of the fighters. way I feel. I, I feel real similar to that in that, you know, if you look just back at his last couple fights, you look at Cerrone versus Rick Story. He picked Rick's story apart like they were fighting in the Matrix and he was Neo. 
There was <laughs> nothing that Story could do that came anywhere near him. He countered everything, and you watched him like a cat toying with a mouse, just set him up until kapow, that one just dropped him and ended him. But then you turn around, and you see what Darren Till did to him. So, like, like TJ's saying, it's not like he's never been stopped. We just saw him get stopped in his last outing. So I think with, with Edwards coming out and just really mediocrely towing the line for 25 minutes, I, I think I may be inclined to agree with the, what Nick's saying there. I think that might have been like a little bit of a pre-rehearsed thing because if that's what you come up with on the spot after a performance like that against somebody like Cerrone who could have gone either way, I really think you're either just trying to bark loud enough to get somebody to pay attention or you're, you're just spilling some stuff that you already had written down hoping that it went this way. Yeah, yeah. It's I think it's um, you know, Cowboys a big name to him. You know, to, it's a big name to a lot of people as much as Cowboys kind of on that kind of fence of winning, losing, winning, losing. Right, right. You know, losing to winning. He's still he's still a name. Still a name. So, yeah. You got to think what he's thinking before that. Like if I beat Cowboy, this is what I'm going to say. You yeah, know, I, how I'm going to him, but yeah. I agree. I agree. I think it's a very good point, sir. So, moving right along to the uh, next event that we have upcoming. This coming Friday, July 6th, the uh, Tough 27 finale, we have got uh, Joe Manganelli. It's not Manganelli. It's Jigliotti or some crazy shit like that versus Mike. It's going to be a good showdown for the actual Ultimate Fighter undefeated season finals. But the card itself, the highlight of the card itself, Brad Tavares versus Israel Adesanya, the last style bender coming in at a perfect 13-0 and record. Now, I think stylistically that's going to be a beautiful matchup with the exception of one thing that I've been reading a lot of in the last few days, and that's that Israel Adesanya might be hurt. There's rumors that he might have some torn muscle around his ribs on his left side. I think that that might realistically change the entire platform of the card because it's not like it's something that I just saw on, on a, a, a Facebook wall or something on a chat board somewhere like this. There are several share dogs running it. MMA fighting was running it. Like the, the reputable sports fighting journalism is starting to catch wind. What do you guys think? Do you think that's really going to affect the whole card? Or do you think that's really going to just tweak that, that grand finale that they're putting on the end of that night? Um, it possibly could. However, if you look at it this way, how many fighters go into a fight completely unscathed? They always have some sort of injury. It comes with training. That's how it works. Anybody who's trained knows this. You're going to get injured, whether it's something minor or something a, a little let more severe, like a torn muscle. You're still going to go in there. You're going to perform to the top of your capability of what's there. Now, does that leave an opening for guy across the octagon to come in and take heed and notice to what's wrong with you and beat up that certain area? Yeah. That just means you're going to defend it a little smarter. You might change your game plan a little bit, but I don't think it's going to throw that big of a wrench in the grand scheme of the fight. I can see that. I can see that as well. Yeah, I agree totally with TJ. Um, been there, done that, know how it is to go in injured, you know. Um, I know back in the day, you know, we used to go to bingo halls and campgrounds, you know, in the, the, the days when, uh, you know, Time Warner Cable uh, banned the UFC because it was too graphic. You know, back in those days when MMA was just starting and you had some really shady promoters, um, there were a lot of people that just, you know, weren't in shape. Uh, you know, you saw it very often, and even still through this, with the high intensity of training that most people do, um, up until, you know, a week before a fight, uh, then, and, and especially in the tough, you know, that is, that's an insane amount of, of, you know, you're just working. That's all you're doing is working and fighting and, you know, pushing yourself to the limit each and every day to make yourself look good, so... I would venture to say that nine out of ten people have something wrong with them when they finally 
go to the finale. Yeah, what's the um, what's the tough finale on? Is that FS1? I believe it's it's going to be on FS1. Let yeah. me double check here. Yeah, yeah, FS1. FS1 yeah, tomorrow that, night. That's definitely, uh, that was an awesome – I mean, it still is it's an awesome fight on there. I, I like the tough finales, but I think they should stay on, not pay-per-view. Right, yeah. I agree. I agree. That's one of the reasons I'm I'm excited for it because you've got the big 226, which we're obviously going to have to get to in just a minute on Saturday night that everybody is gearing up for. But I like that they they keep the the finale for tough on Friday night. So even though there's you know Adesanya versus Tavares is a pretty good name fight, mm-hmm. they're going to keep that as the headline. So there's still something to draw you in, even if you're not paying attention to the actual season of tough. You still got a nice big name to keep people drawn in. But then. At the same time, you get the four guys from the two weight classes that have been grinding it out. And especially with this season, this was Ultimate Fighter undefeated. So everyone coming in this season was coming in with a perfect record. So whoever leaves with this win has made it all the way to the UFC and had their you know initial rise choreographed or videotaped according to the, the way it played out to show their perfection reaching the you know quote-unquote pinnacle of getting that UFC contract. And I think that's going to be a nice little spruce as well. Mm, yeah. Finish with an undefeated guy. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and on, on camera for the world to watch you do that as well. I think that's going to be a nice little feather in somebody's cap. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So the next thing. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. So uh, one more thing I want to talk about real quick about the, uh, the tough finale on uh, on Friday night before we move on to the big Saturday night topic here. Um, Alex Ciceris, Bruce Leroy, as they call him, is on the card. He's That's the co-main event. He is fighting at 13 and 11. Now, I'm not saying you've got to have a great record to be in the UFC. But when you take into consideration that the last half dozen or so bigger name fighters that have been released by the UFC have all been very open about being released because they had lost a certain amount of fights in a row or their record had gone to a negative status finally from losing a couple fights and the UFC just felt that they weren't carrying their weight enough. Now, how do you do a guy who's not even really a household name and you keep him fighting at 13 and 11, and then let him co-main event against a guy who's not even ranked. I mean... <laughs> I, to be honest, I don't know why he's still in the UFC. I know he had a hype train when he first came in. Yeah. But I think part of that is because of his attitude. He had the right attitude to draw numbers, but... Unfortunately, his performances don't show that. So, why he's on there, I don't know, other than the fact that the UFC has a huge stable of fighters, and maybe that was the only one they could find that was going to take that fight on whatever notice. I could definitely see that being an option as well. It's just that's one of those things that strikes me as odd when you hear about, you know, big name guys getting cut every couple months because they've lost, you know, three in a row and their quote unquote contract clause said, you know, and then you hear about a guy like, you know, Bruce Leroy, (laughs) he's 13 and 11. So he's great at getting his ass kicked, (laughs) but I don't see how that balances out. I think the UFC is, I think that's one of those things that it's kind of fallen into the cracks through the transition. One of the things I'll have to say is, Um, the UFC tends to hold on to somebody who actually fights, you know. Um, I think that's the case here. I think it's a little bit more, not necessarily his record, but, like, he's pretty tenacious overall. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. He'll he'll put on a good fight generally anytime he steps in the ring, win or lose. Um, So, I mean, compare him to Anderson Silva for instance, you know, I mean, which would you rather see? You know, you know what I'm saying? Right, um, right. I can see that. 
that, I mean, that's, I, I would say that that's the biggest thing is he may not be a household name, but he's, he'll put up a good fight regardless of who wins or loses. Very true. Very true. I can see that. Flip my page here real quick. Okay, so the big thing that everyone has been waiting all summer to see, the thing that everyone who's following the UFC has been looking forward to since they announced it was official and it wasn't just a hoax on Instagram, UFC 226, July 7th. So there's a lot to run down on this card. So I just want to start at the base of the main card here. So the first thing I want to get you guys' opinion on, because this is one of those things that it kind of made me scratch my head when I read it. Gokan Saki versus Khalil Roundtree Jr. Now, Khalil Roundtree Jr., I have been rooting for that dude, like, downtroddenly since he was on Ultimate Fighter 23, because he was one of those guys from Team Ioana that just looked solid all the way through. He fought good. He trained good. He always had a good attitude, and he didn't quite make it. It just – he fell a little bit short. And the UFC has thrown him on a couple of cards in a row trying to give him that chance because he's a likable guy. He's in great shape. He's got a good attitude. He always comes out and performs. But it seems like for whatever reason, he just can't quite catch traction – and it feels to me kind of like they're giving him a, like we were talking about earlier, they're throwing him a Cerrone and putting him against Gokansaki because while Gokansaki's still relatively new-ish to UFC, that dude has been around. That dude is a warrior from the primal days of mixed martial arts really taking hold. And I just, I want to get you guys' thoughts on, do you feel like... At least to me, it seems like they're throwing him the Cerrone here. They're giving him that either you're going to make your name off this guy or he's going to take you off the roster and we're going to focus on him more kind of situation. Anytime you have a kickboxer from the Netherlands, it's a wild card. I mean, it's as simple as that. And Saki is, Saki is not a chump by any means. You know, right. he, he may have, what is he, one and one in the UFC? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, one and one since he joined the UFC. But that shows absolutely nothing because that dude will knock your head off in a second, you know. So it's it's not like he's a chump. It's it's I think it's going to be a really good match overall because it's going to, like you said, it's it's going to determine who they're going to focus on. The winner of this is going to, you know, obviously uh, be the the center of attention for some time. So right, and with it opening the card, the the actual main card being the first fight on the main card. I feel like they're kind of focusing the spotlight just a little bit. Like, you know, guys, somebody's going to get a little more attention from this fight. Who's it going to be? And and I agree. Stylistically, it looks to be interesting. When you're saying throwing somebody a Cerrone, I, I look at that and it's, I can't say that it's uh, throwing a Cerrone because obviously how long has Saki been around? It's, I mean, it's he's also done some different things, whereas Cerrone is basically mainline UFC. He hasn't fought outside of it, um, whereas Saki's been all over. So, yes, it is throwing a Cerrone to a point. However, um, for Roundtree to pull himself in there, he's going to have to perform and actually do something with that because, yes, you're fighting a very savvy veteran. But if you want to continue the route that you're on and not get thrown to the wayside, you have to finish him. Um, a, a win by decision is not going to do it. That's true. I didn't even really think about that. But I, I, you, now that you mention it, I, I agree. In this situation, especially with it being the opening of the main card, I, I agree with you. I don't think a decision is really going to cut it here. I, I, now that you mention it, I think this really – now, that, yeah, that really does seem to click pretty well that – really both of these fighters have the potential to finish anybody in the first, you know, maybe early second round. And I think that might be what they're going for here. Kind of a, uh, it's blood sport, gentlemen. Let's see some battle. Yeah, I agree. I think when, you know, when I seen uh, Cub Swanson a couple months ago getting re, um, you know, getting his contract redone, they brought up that word gatekeeper. And I always right. thought of Donald Cerrone is that. 
Um, Saki, I'm not too familiar with, but that's kind of what it sounds like. And I, I think that's absolutely a thing, the gatekeeper. Like, if you go on, you pass this guy. He's got a good name, been in for a while. If you could beat him, then you could get up here. You know, if not, then, you know, it's not looking too good because, you know, he's the gatekeeper. Very true. Very true. And, yeah, and I can I could see that as well because, in a sense, that kind of plays both ways because on the Roundtree side, like, he's he's been that slow to start but still there, like, prelims guy on the other hand Saki is just really making his transition into the UFC so he's got a good following of his own just not the UFC world fans it's those Dutch kickboxing fans that know Saki so I can I can see that kind of being the chance to you know break the gatekeeper on either side the new name for the UFC on one side and then that steady grinder on the other side mm-hmm yeah, Nick Saki has been uh, a Dutch kickboxer. He was in K1 from about 2006 up until he started in the UFC. So. Wow. Yeah, yeah, Saki had about a decade-long run in K1 just knocking people's heads into bleachers. Wow. Okay, so the next card, we'll, or the next fight, uh, rather, we'll move right along, is uh, Michael Chiesa versus Anthony Pettis. Showtime making his grab back at the spotlight now this one I kind of feel like and I know I'm going to catch flack for this from some people but I feel like this is the excuses battle and what I mean by that is that no matter who loses if it's Kiesa he's always got that well Connor threw the fucking dolly at the bus and broke the window and cut my face up that's why I couldn't train right excuse and on the other side of that coin for Pettis if he gets his ass kicked He's got twofold there. One, I've been helping Duke Rufus try and train CM Punk for the last two years, and you see how that went, but we tried. And then on the other side, when I wasn't helping Rufus train CM Punk, I was helping him train my little brother, who Sergio, who is, you know, quickly taking the UFC by storm. So it's like, I feel like either one of these guys have more excuses to lose than they have reasons to try and win. I don't know that they're going to... I don't think they'll play the excuse game, to be honest. I mean, regardless of what they're doing or what's happened, whether it's the Dolly incident with Kiesa or Pettis trying to train CM Punk or Phil, because um, I refuse to acknowledge that um, he's CM Punk. You come into Likewise. the UFC, you drop your fucking wrestling moniker, period. I, I agree. Phil Brooks should have been what was announced. Yeah, but either way, the both of them, they're they have not been looking good as of late. So the both of them need to show up, put their excuses aside, whatever the hell they may be. If either one of them pulls an excuse after the fight, other than saying "Yeah, he got me," to hell with the both of you. And don't get me wrong, I'm a big Pettis fan. Pettis, he's a, uh, he's a Wisconsin boy like myself, so <laughs> I've always had a soft spot for him, not to mention he's got one of the greatest highlights of all time, jumping yes. off a fence and yeah. fucking catching Benson off. right across the face. Yeah. Big old roundhouse off the fence. Greatest yeah. thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Love it. But he's, to be honest, he's, I think he's getting towards the end of his career, unless all of a sudden he can pull some shit out of his ass and string a couple of wins together. He might have to hang it up soon as well as Kiesa because Kiesa looked like he was going up and then he took a dive off as well. I agree. I agree completely. And especially and if, you, if you're talking about Kiesa here, like Kiesa came in with bad hype when his, you know, intro into the UFC, he got that submission by tapping that he's never going to live down because he gave that, you know, girly ah! scream and the ref called it as a verbal submission tap. And that's just kind of like haunted him like a bad shadow ever since. And then, with Pettis, you know, he's got that highlight reel off the cage fucking spinning kick that put Benson Henderson on his face that no one will ever be able to forget that either. But like you said, he's definitely on a downward streak here lately. And, and I agree, he really does seem to be rounding towards that tail end where he's either going to have to make a run for that belt to hold it or he's going to have to hang it up and just be good with coaching. Yeah, totally, uh, I, to- I, I, I totally agree. Like, this is a very pivotal match for both of these guys. Like, if they go in it half-assed and 
give a half-assed performance, go to a decision. That's, that's the way that I see this going. Uh, they may as well just, you know, hang it up. If, if that's the performance that they're going to give, and that's, that's really what – that's the least forward that I'm looking to in matches. You know, I really don't see anything good coming from that, honestly. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. agree with what everybody's saying. I think uh, Kiesa has to win it more than Pettis does because Pettis has that highlight reel. And Kiesa's just that guy that got hit with the glass from if he loses, you know. It's, he's just the guy that got hit by McGregor with the glass from the dolly. I agree. I agree. I, I think we're all pretty much in unison on this one here. Yeah. So next one, we'll move right along. This one, I, I can't really believe that they actually made it happen, but they're going to make it happen. Francis the Nightmare Nganu versus Derek the Black Beast Lewis. Now, if you have ever seen any of the fights from either one of these gentlemen, you know that both of them carry mail trucks for a hand and will just tank your skull into sleepy time. Most famously... Ngano for putting Overeem's forehead to the back of his shoulders in that astral projection of a one-punch knockout. Lewis has a half a dozen of those. The problem is, is none of them are really against bigger-name guys. So on one hand, you've got an amazing up-and-coming real terror in the, the heavyweight division that has huge hands, but like Stipe showed, just doesn't have that wrestling defense and just doesn't have that gas tank for a championship round yet. He's also less than five years total into his career. But then on the other side of the octagon from him, you have Derek Lewis, who has been a quote-unquote athlete of the highest level for well over a decade now, but still, fight after fight, shows trouble weathering the longer rounds and holding that great energy that he starts with. I almost feel like this might be a real similar to uh, the Saki Roundtree situation where one of these gentlemen is going to get a lot more attention and the other one's kind of just going to slowly fade away because Derek Lewis has been down with an injury for a while now. So this is really kind of him making his climb back up attempt. But at the same time, Engano's brand new and he's still climbing up too. So it feels like this is kind of a... Uh, almost a match to set the marching order for the new wave of the heavyweight division, in my opinion. What do you guys think? I'll take it. You know, I, I immediately comes to mind if this thing gets out of the first round, and I say if because the way those two throw bombs, somebody's getting knocked out. Absolutely. It's just a matter of who. If it gets outside of the first round, I have this just terrible gut feeling that it's going to remind me of the Kimbo Slice Dada 5000 fight. Yes. Very to be much, honest, yes. Because the gas tank on the both of those fighters is miserable. They need some cardio. Bad. Yes. You, you be as fat as you want, but have cardio so that way you can go. Jesus, pull a Roy Nelson, at least be able to go five rounds. I, I very much agree. And I, I like you. That is exactly one of the things that flow to my mind right away is that that same Kimbo versus Dada historical match that if you go back and watch it now, granted, I'm not saying their technique is spectacular. I'm not saying model your career after that fight. But what I'm saying is if you go back and you watch that in round one, those two gentlemen were trying to take each other's skulls out of the skin of their face by beating mercilessly. And now not a lot of it landed, but those dudes threw for the fence with every swing. So I, I definitely agree with that potential. Yeah, that's a fan-friendly fight for sure. That's that's a real fun one on there. And I think uh, Big B said that he said, you know, we make it out of the second round. He probably doesn't deserve the fight for the UFC anymore. And that's probably just what's going to happen. If not, maybe we see them go into the third, both tired as hell. I think either way, it's yeah, either way, it's going to be a good fight. I don't think they're making it out of the first though. <laughs> I I agree. Yep, I totally agree. It's going to be a first-round slobberknocker, man. It's going to be probably some of the most heavy-hitting heavyweights that we've seen in quite some time because the guy, man, that, that guy is a beast. I mean, 
they're both beasts. I mean, yeah. they're just going to be trying to knock each other's head off. That's that's all we're going to see. You know, <laughs> simple well, as that. And and to that point, that's one of the reasons as well that personally I'm really interested in this fight because while we all know that these two dudes are going to be trying to take the skull of their opponent off by force, at the same time, that's where Derek Lewis has that little extra bonus card in his back pocket or a trick up his sleeve, if you will. He's got a collegiate wrestling background. The dude can wrestle. We've already seen in that Stipe fight, Francis can't wrestle for shit. He can't stop a takedown. He can't get you off of him once you put him on his back. I, I kind of feel like Derek Lewis in this fight, at least, is almost like a, a, a shorter gas tanked Stipe versus the Francis, whereas they both have that knockout power, but Lewis does still have that wrestling card up his sleeve to play with if he wants to, and we've seen that work against Francis before. That's interesting. I didn't know he was a collegiate wrestler. Um, yeah, that's, that's that would be funny if he came out with a double leg. That's, and that's what I'm thinking is that we saw Stipe, when he grabbed Francis and pushed him backwards, you saw Francis's eyes open up like, oh, shit, what the hell is this? Nobody does that to me. Uh, and yeah. once they got him on his back, he had real problems. So with, with Derek Lewis having wrestling ability, he might actually have an advantage if he can weather the storm and hold that gas tank out. Gas tank's a big thing. It's hard to get a double leg when you're gasping for breath. Very, very true. <laughs> okay, so moving right along here, the co-main event. One of, not only on paper, but from at least, uh, uh, you know, a, a fan from my point of view's perspective, one of the most exciting fights, not only this year, but maybe in the last couple years. Realistically for me, this matchup just is really setting the bar for what I like to see from professional fighters. And that's Max Bless Holloway versus Brian T-City Ortega. These two gentlemen, both amazing jiu-jitsu players, both great wrestlers, both smooth grapplers, both unorthodox strikers with no quit and gas tank for days. Both of these dudes can go an hour if they had to. And when you look at them on paper, the only loss Holloway has in the UFC is in his early day versus Conor McGregor, who was in the middle of his tear up the division. And across from him, you've got the only man in history to knock Frankie Edgar out. That is like top of the steps, Rocky, throw your hands up. Da -da -da. That's a moment. Like that's a minute you have to realize and appreciate. But that's not to take anything away from Holloway, who now has twice just artistically dismantled Jose Aldo, who most will say was, aside from McGregor, one of the best the division has seen since its inception. And then you look at the possibility of those two styles going against each other. I honestly can't pick a winner. I can't. What do you guys think? Yeah, this one's very hard to pick a winner. There's like, <laughs> both the top fights are very hard, I think. Um Man, yeah, I, I mean, I would just go with Holloway because of experience, I guess. But it does seem like, whatchamacallit, um, T-City's just too cool in there. He's just so calm. Um, yeah, this is an awesome fight. It's, it's very close with the McGregor-Aldo fight. Um, whether it's – I don't know if it's a better fight like they're claiming just because McGregor's such a big name. Right. Man, this fight is all – I think it's a better fight, but it's not going to be a bigger fight. It's not going to be a more money-making fight, I don't think. But uh, actually, I'm almost positive it won't be. Right. But, man, it's, it's a better fight. I'd rather watch this one. I agree. I'm very excited to see how it plays out either way. 
Um, you know, when it comes to this fight, there's two sides of the coin that I look at here. Um, one is, I'm going to start on the non-champion side, T-City. He has the nastiest guillotine of anybody in the UFC that oh, I can yes. name in God knows how long. Hell if he gets yes. his arms anywhere near your near you, he's going to get that guillotine. And yes, I understand Holloway has a fantastic jiu-jitsu background as well. However, he's not on that same level. Uh, T-City for that is, he's, he's levels above. I mean, look at the fight where he released a guillotine to go back in and do it again just to get a better grip on it. And Very still true. Uh, Very true. And that was a beautiful was move when you get it, too. So, on that side of the house, I think he's going to have a step up. Now, the other side of the coin here, when you're looking over at Holloway, Holloway starts quickly. And as you notice, he continues to push the pace faster and faster and faster and faster as the rounds go on. Absolutely. Yes, both of them have gas tanks, but if he's going to force T-City onto the bike the whole time to just try to keep pace with him, I don't know that T-City is going to be able to hang in there pace-wise. So to know who's going to win the fight, I don't know because it's really a coin toss on this one. Either way, it's going to be fantastic, but if – Holloway wins. It's probably going to be, um, I'm going to guess, decision. If Ortega is going to take the win, he's going to have to get a guillotine. Interesting. Very interesting. I, I agree with a lot of what you say there. I can definitely see where you're coming from, though. But very interesting point of view, sir. I'm going to have to go with uh, TJ in this one, too. Um, just simply because, I mean, Ortega has rolled with all of the Gracies. He, I mean, Henzo, he's like massacred Henzo. I mean, that in and of itself is right. And they, uh, they all talk about that themselves as well. Right, right, right. Um, you know, Holloway, once again, Holloway is not a chump. You get those little guys, man, they can go for days and days and days. Um, I don't think that his jujitsu game is, is up uh, to um, Ortega's jujitsu game. Um, and I think that's what's going to be the determining factor. You know, these little guys don't have any kind of power. So, uh, it's not really going to come down to any kind of a knockout. So I think whoever is uh, more prominent on the ground is going to take this one. It's going to be a great fight. I well, mean, especially two, two firecrackers like these guys, you know. Well, and you also have to remember that the last time we saw Ortega, he put Frankie, the answer, Edgar, to sleep for the first time in his career. And he did it beautifully with a smooth step off drop right right so the skill and the ability to just throw those precise crackers is definitely there on Ortega's side now that's not to say Holloway doesn't have good hands but we have seen Ortega just dance in and out of good defenses and still put the hurt in there Yeah, I would imagine that. I mean, I always thought that maybe uh, Holloway's striking was better. Um, actually, I, I thought, yeah, I definitely thought Holloway's striking was better because just because the way that um, people sell Ortega is just kind of learning the striking. It's just one of them things like while you're doing jujitsu, I'm doing striking, and just it just seems like that's why he would win by points on a decision, and um, Ortega would win by a submission, which I totally agree with if that's how it goes. I think if it goes to points, I think Holloway would get that. So to that point, that's actually one of the reasons that I say this fight's hard to call because like you said, Ortega, in your opinion, is just learning to strike. Reality, if you go back and watch the uh, Road to the Octagon where he fought Edgar, they show basically his upbringing and his backstory when he was a teenager running with the gangs and shit, the thing that got him off the street and put him onto the straight and narrow was going into a boxing gym. <laughs> and the coach told him, and I quote, I will train you and I will make you the best in the world and I won't charge you a penny, but you have to leave your life behind you. Because he knew what he was into and he knew what was going on. He wasn't stupid. Well, Ortega did it. He gave up the gang life. He gave up the drugs. He gave up the fighting, the bullshit. 
he became a disciplined boxer before he started into jujitsu. That's his background, ironically. But not a lot of people know that. Mm. Yeah. That's, uh, man, if Ortega wins this, he's going to fucking skyrocket. I agree with that completely. I think Ortega's already skyrocketed. That's the thing. His his stock is already way up there. He's he's blown through people that they put in front of him. And even the ones where he's had a difficult time, he manages to find a way to win. And he's been finishing people. He hasn't just been winning. He's been finishing people. There's not a lot at that weight class that you see consistently finish people. A lot of those go to decisions because – like Shane said, it's not a whole lot of um, power behind those guys. But when you consistently finish someone, your stock goes way up. That's why McGregor's went up so fast. He was finishing people. The same Very concept true. here with T-City. He finishes this fight. <laughs> that that next fight, um, it might be a McGregor versus T-City and not a, what they want to <laughs> do now. That's that's very true. I, I can definitely agree with that, and especially with the Dana White already saying that he's going to make Khabib Connor happen. That's There's too much press behind it with the whole bus incident, with all the trash talking back and forth even before that. Everybody knows that's the fight that people want to see. And then especially since the, you know, I don't even want to describe it with an adjective, but the stripping of the belt from, from Connor and then giving it essentially on a platter to Khabib with that last minute Al Iaquinta fight, which I love Al and he put up a hell of a fight for what he stepped into on such short notice, just unbelievably, you know, astounding respect for that man and what he did and what he tried to do. But with the hype that McGregor still has, and then at the same time, like you're saying, the steam that Ortega has behind him rolling up to this, I, I can definitely see if he puts Holloway down, especially with a nice guillotine, just slides it in and just ends it smooth. I can definitely see them possibly bumping that Khabib fight and putting TCD versus McGregor possibly in the ring early next year, end of this year. Or TCD versus Khabib, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, or yeah, exactly. Or Khabib versus TCD waiting for McGregor. That's very true. All right, well, that brings us to the steak and potatoes, the real chutzpah of this card that everyone's been waiting for. Stipe Miocic versus John's belt holder, I mean, uh, Daniel Cormier. Now, <laughs> I will give him this. DC in Strike Force was something to be fucked with. Him throwing Josh Barnett upside down onto his head is a highlight reel that I will not take away from him, despite how much I disdain that man. Also, having watched him coach on this season of Ultimate Fighter, I will acknowledge I like him much, much better as a coach than I do as a fighter. You didn't see him cry as a coach. That helps. But that aside. You look across the octagon and you see literally the baddest heavyweight the UFC has ever seen. He's defended the belt longer. He's on a longer streak. He's beaten the biggest of names to get and hold that belt. I don't think DC, even ballooning up past where he normally runs, has what it takes anymore compared to his strike force days to get Stipe in the L column and take that belt. What do you guys think? Man, I think it's a I think it's tough, man. I love Stipe. I really do. I um I like actually I do actually like DC too. Um man, I really like Stipe, but I think it's a tough fight. I actually think John Jones is an easier fight for Stipe than DC is. I don't know, man. DC just – he really uses his size well. It's just – it's weird. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's always been like that, that head-leaning thing that John Jones took advantage of with the head kick, and then he shows that he still does that. That seems like such a crutch for DC. And it's I just, agree. Yeah, it's, 
so weird that it's just it I don't know, I guess it's just something he can't work on, but man, it, it is really obvious. Well and, and exactly to your point, on the uh the road to the octagon for this week for DC versus Stipe, uh Dan Henry was actually pointing that exact thing out. Stipe's strongest power punches going all the way back aren't big, long punches like John Jones used to throw. They're short and mid-90-degree elbow, perfect power shots right in the region where DC still dips his damn head. <laughs> yeah, and Stipe, man, you know what I like about Stipe is, like, he you could tell he fights with, um, like, with uh, instinct. Like, he almost – obviously, he's not scared of anybody he's fighting, but he almost looked on alert, like, scared, like, when he was fighting in, in Gano. Like, you, you could tell he was fighting with instinct. And that's what I really like about him, where DC looks like he's thinking. He's always thinking in there, and it's just – it's not quite as much instinct. But, I, man, I, yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. You know, um, I hate to play devil's advocate here um, on this one. Because I love Stipe. I truly love Stipe. But this one, I might catch a little flack from you on this. And I'm okay with this. Look back to that Josh Barnett fight. He was not supposed to win. He was not even supposed to get to that round. That was for the Grand Prix Championship. Guess what? He wasn't even supposed to get in there. He stepped in there on short notice. True. And threw that whole world on its head. He still has the capability to do that. To be honest, I think everybody thinks that Stipe's got this in the bag. And to be honest, I like Stipe enough to where I hope he does. Because to be honest, I I like DC, but I don't like his attitude. He's always making excuses. So do I want to see him lose and come up with some new excuse? Yeah, please. (laughs) But on the other side of that... I think he can he can flip this on its head because you know what he's done it before, so he knows how he knows how to come out of these situations like this on top. The one he hasn't figured out is how to do that with John Jones, which there's a good reason for that. I'm just saying, go. Let's <laughs> see. I like I said, I, I will not deny him those strike force highlights. Least of all that Barnett, because that and even Josh Barnett still to this day says that is the only time he has ever been put upside down like that. He never let another man do that to him and had motivated him to get better. But on the same token there, that was over a decade ago. And that DC, while he was heavy, he was in fucking spectacular shape. And that is not the same dad bod DC that we are looking at today. While I acknowledge he did have that potential back in the day and showed it, I don't know if he still has what it takes to get a big man like Stipe up and around. Well, see where you're coming from? That's the same thing everyone else thought was, we don't think he's going to be able to pull it off. That's why I'm playing devil's advocate here and saying, really do think he can do it. It's just a matter of how has he trained for this one versus his past fights? Because some of his past fights have looked terrible. And to be honest, if he puts his mind to it, yeah, he he can pull it off. That heavyweight Grand Prix, that wasn't a fluke. I mean, it was a fluke that he got in, but those next fights after that, he knew they were coming, so he had time to train for them properly. You're going into a super fight, you better give 300 fucking percent. For him, it's probably going to need to be like 600, but that's (laughs) because, well... To be honest, he he's a great fighter, but he's also getting towards that tail end of his career. Right, and that, that's exactly what what I'm referring back to is that you know I acknowledge that he he definitely had some highlight reel moments that I won't deny him, even if I even though I don't like him and I don't like him. But either either way you cut either way you cut it, it's gonna be a phenomenal fight. And yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter who wins. I'm gonna be thoroughly enjoying the entirety of winning the finish. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely won't say that it's going to be an easy fight for Stipe. I won't, I won't go to that extreme. It's definitely going to be a battle no matter which one of them actually wins. But I just, I personally, I can't sign on to that DC train for this one, man. John's belt holder doesn't have what it takes to upset Stipe. <laughs> yeah, who do you think is going to come in heavier? I mean, here's the thing is people say that really Daniel Cormier is going to come in heavier, like that people have it kind of confused. But the thing is, is, if Daniel Cormier comes in heavier, he's heavier 
wide ways, not like kind of broad ways, like broad shoulder ways. Right, right. And that's and that's a good point. And that's one of the things that they've been talking about this week is that Stipe comes in at 6'4", Cormier comes in at 5'10 half. So even if they step on the scale at the same weight, Stipe is always going to be the physically bigger man. Hmm. But in, in terms of where they actually step in, in my opinion, based on looking at what DC is capable of now in my eyes versus what he used to in terms of, you know, the 205 division, also seeing those super dad bod pictures of him out of competition where he looks like Carl Winslow. <laughs> but at the same time, you've seen Stipe, he does double duty at a firehouse. He never gets a chance to really balloon up. He pretty much stays around 240 year round. Knowing that DC may come in to try and have a little bit of a weight advantage in my opinion, just seems like Stipe, if nothing else, would just add a couple extra burgers to the routine, maybe put a couple extra pounds of solidarity on, but not really go too crazy. In my eyes, I think DC is going to try and want to make a statement. So I, I'm guessing, this is my early prediction, I'm saying DC is going to come in about 245, 249. I think Stipe is going to come in about 256, 257. See, I don't even think that's an issue at all because – Stipe is always going to be the more fit of the two at this particular time. So right. even if DC shuffs down some burgers and puts on some weight, it's only going to be a disadvantage for him. Um, it, it comes down to the cardio, and Stipe has much better cardio to begin with. So um, just simply because he's younger too, you know, and his line of work. Also, I'm going to be a fan of Stipe because, you know, Ohio born and bred. So. H-I-O, <laughs> <laughs> I get you. <laughs> yeah, so um, I really think that uh, it's going to be a really spectacular fight, honestly. Um, I really think that Stipe is going to going to take it, but um, it's it really comes out. He's a lot more dedicated to his boxing. Like, he's one of the better boxers that you'll actually see in the UFC uh, because he doesn't just – you know, Superman punches, you know, a lot of people disagree with me. That's the most ridiculous bullshit that I've ever seen. <laughs> like, I'm a very, like, I started out boxing, um, you know, in my younger years. Fundamentals of boxing, understanding what a jab was and what to use it for. Um, that is totally bereft in the, in the UFC. Like, nobody uses a jab. You know, there's obviously some cases, but nobody knows what a jab is uh, right. for the most part. You know, like, they just... If they're boxing, they're trying for the power punches. You know, you've got your your Muay Thai fighters that uh, understand the fundamentals uh, a lot better. Uh, but it's so it's so frustrating watching sometimes just to see the horrific boxing. You know, like uh, when um, Vitor came on the scene, you know, he was just like plowing over everybody. You know, a lot of people say that it was because he was juicing, but. One of the biggest things is he had some of the most elite boxing skills ever. And people were just like, oh, what's that? You know? Very true. Very so true. I think I think Stipe takes it just simply because of his boxing skills. Yeah, <laughs> boxing, boxing and striking are two different things. And I, I was thinking that as soon as uh, Meter passed me um, the notes, I started thinking like, man, that, that jab would be very good for Stipe to keep him off. Because – I mean, Cormier's game's going close. Oh, yeah. He's going to get in on you. Yeah. Try. Yeah. So that jab is going to be good, man. You'll definitely hear that in the corner if he's not throwing it. Right. You're jab, jab, jab. DC has to get close. With that height disadvantage, he's definitely not going to have the reach. So he's going to have to get close. So that jab to keep him on the outside, perfect. Yeah. Right. And. As uh, I know, Swag has been there for a couple of them, but uh, sometimes when I'll do a live stream broadcast, my own uh, fight companion-esque show, if you will, to uh, the UFC events as they're live, one of the things that, that several of the regulars that come through will laugh when they hear me scream, and I will scream over and over till my voice goes hoarse, watch the left jab. It's the least utilized, also least defended punch in the UFC today because you see the few that utilize it will just break somebody's face throwing left jab after left jab that no one can defend and then there is the rest of the UFC that just can't stop a basic jab to save their life well you also have to realize 
Stipe has a, a nine-inch reach advantage. Nine inches. I mean, that is... <laughs> Well, you got to do and, some work to get inside of nine inches. Well, and one of the things that they were talking about on the uh, road to the octagon is that John Jones actually has a four further inch reach than Stipe does. So DC knows that range to a point, but the difference is the way that they throw, in my opinion, whereas Jones stays long and uses his reach to his advantage and Stipe almost uses it in the opposite way. He uses it as potential energy and he throws short and steps through with his shot. So there's more right. pop and more power behind his shots, in my opinion. Yep. More linear. Yep. It's not hooking. It's more linear. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot more follow-through with Stipe's, whereas Jones catches you at the end of his strikes. Stipe catches you about 50 to 60% of the way through and then follows that extra 40 to put some oomph on the end of it. Yep. That's and that that's striking thing, yep. That's because he's doing what you're supposed to. The idea is not to catch him at the end. It's to punch through them, not to hit them at the end of it. You want to punch through the other side of that guy's head. So the way he's striking is the proper way to do it, where you don't see a lot of guys doing that. They're out there catching them towards the end. Very true. Very true. Which, to his credit, I will say, because I absolutely follow him on Instagram, John Jones has spent some serious time over the last couple months while he's had his downtime because of this latest shenanigans, and he is in his garage with his brother sweating it out at 100-plus degrees for you know good amounts of time repeatedly just working on his boxing. And I tell you what, for a dude who could strike before, his shots are really, really looking crisp now. So when they finally get him back in, because – much like McGregor, they're going to get him back in the octagon. So when they do get John back in the ring against somebody, his, his, his fists are going to be a little more dangerous than they used to be, I think. But I, I, think, I think this one, I think the evening is going to end with a Stipe arm raise. That would be awesome. I would love to see Stipe win. I really would. I, I would really like to see him win. I think he deserves more credit than he gets. And I, I hear that a lot on, like, Joe Rogan and uh, and uh, Brendan Schaub's. Like, he's just so marketable with the firefighter thing and just – I agree. You know, it's just – and Cormier gets a lot of – you know, he gets a lot of, of what Stipe should get. Well, and I think part of that is that, you know, as well as just being a humble dude like Stipe is, because he really doesn't play himself up. He always, you know, like a true good champion, you know, what he does, he says he represents from the team that put him there. But DC, on the other hand, is he's almost like herpes, man. You just can't get rid of him. Every time you think you got a minute, you get to breathe, he pops up on Fox, you know, UFC tonight, or he's commentating for another show overseas, or they're letting him do a voiceover for a fucking clip on UFC.com. And you're like, just stop. Let me get just one without DC's intervention here. Whereas Stipe, unless he's fighting, generally you don't really get a whole lot of publicity from his side. Yeah. Well, Stipe is a good old boy kind of thing, you know. I mean, well, I'll disagree, but, you know, people <laughs> people call Ohio Midwestern. But I can get to the Atlantic Ocean quicker than I can the Mississippi. I don't necessarily think I'm Midwest. But, <laughs> um, but you know, he's a good old boy. Cleveland's pretty big, but at the same time, you know, Ohio's very rural. Uh, you know, like, it's just – he, he, he's wholesome, you know, like still works his job as a firefighter, uh, you know, humble to like more than anybody else. It's just, it's, it's really strange. Like they're, they're really playing on it. And I think that's really good. And he's, he's one of the most humble people in the UFC. I, I really truly believe. I so I think that gets him a, a, a lot of standing as it is. So, and plus, he's just a, a, a really great athlete overall. So, Absolutely. That he very much is. Just in any capacity and just in the general term of athlete, he really is a great example. Yeah, he's humble until you tell him somebody's trying to take that belt. <laughs> he's like, I'm walking out with my hand raised. This belt's That's mine. true. 
That's true. Also, it, I don't know if you guys followed this season, the Ultimate Fighter, with him and, and DC as coaches, but uh, one of my favorite moments in the season was uh, on the off days where Stipe and his crew would come into train and DC and his crew weren't there. Uh, Stipe and some of his coaches held up uh, or hung up rather with tape over the uh, giant pictures that they have in the training room giant pictures of stipe zoomed in with this horrific caterpillar of a pedo stash yeah and then <laughs> over the main picture the like the five foot by seven foot picture on the main wall was a picture of stipe and gian volante photoshopped to look like they were naked with their dicks hanging out high five <laughs> Yeah, yep. and the look on the guys' faces from DC's team as they came in and saw these pictures, and that like befuddlement, that puzzled look until they made it to the one with the dick out, and then just sheer what the fuck! It like that side of Steve just makes you love him that much more. I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a crazy part, and then Cormier coming in. <laughs> right yeah and then of course dc walked right into stipe's room and just pulled out the big boy and flashed him right in the face scarred poor giambalante for life yeah <laughs> what it's supposed to look like <laughs> oh jeez. yeah no that's that's one of the things that I, I've, I've been saying and even my wife was impressed because she knows how much i absolutely don't like uh john's belt holder but uh watching this season of ultimate fighter i i really do i will say that i've I've grown a new respect for him in terms of coaching because that man generally gave an authentic shit about every member of his team and took a personal vested interest, even to the point where when it got to the coach's challenge at the end of the season, he told the guys right out the gate when he, cause he didn't remember, or at least played it like he didn't remember what the reward was. So when they told him, if you win, you get 10 grand and we each get 1500, his immediate response without blinking an eye was, if we win, I will match whatever they're paying you. I will give you an additional 1500 on top of what the UFC is giving you. And then when he did it, I'd like, I will take my hat off to you, sir. That is not something that everyone generally does or thinks of, but he just seemingly instinctively went to, you know, this is for the guys, not for me. I can respect that way more than I can him being John's belt holder. Yeah, I like that part and the part where he was um, – where the one guy was, like, being too rough with rolling with other guys. Yeah, and Thailand like, Clark. And he started talking shit, and he was like, all right, you know what, let's go. Yeah, Thailand Clark, when he was roughing the dudes up, the littler guys up too much, DC did step right in, and he's like, nah, bitch, no, nah, I, I got this. You guys step back. Let me at a 205 guy put yeah. your ass at 155 around the way that you're doing to these 145 guys. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That was a good move on his part. Yeah. Let me just sit on top of you for a second. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he flattened <laughs> that fucker out and held him down and went, how do you like this? See, this is why you got to behave and, you know, control your power. Yeah. All right. Well, gentlemen, I believe that is all the time we are going to have for this episode. So I, I would like to first and foremost, thank all three of you for, for coming out and for being a part of this with me. And uh, hopefully I can get some of you guys back here in the future. Cause I plan on going at this UFC is year round. So I don't see any reason why this couldn't be uh, let's go around the room. I'll give you guys a chance real quick to tell everybody where they can find you again, and then we'll wrap this thing up. So uh, Mr. Divine, why don't you go first? I am n.divine83 on YouTube and Instagram. Man, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I would definitely come back whenever, whenever. This is awesome. Um, Absolutely. We talk a lot of MMA with people that much. Um, hopefully it gets bigger and I'm able to. But, yeah, um, thanks for having me. And, yeah, n.divine83, Instagram, YouTube. Absolutely. Much appreciated. Thank you again for being here, sir. Uh, Mr. Swaggy Shane, why don't you go next? Bueller. <laughs> Bueller. Okay, so uh, TJ, uh, why don't you go next while we page Swaggy Shane? Um, well, since we're in his absence, um, you can find me on YouTube, uh, Golf T Vapes, as well as Instagram. However, I don't post much there, but either way, thanks for uh, setting this up. This was a great time. I would gladly do it again. Uh, definitely worthwhile. Definitely enjoyable to get everyone else's point of view. Glad to see that I'm on the same page as some people and then have a little skewed views on other things. 
It's always a Absolutely. good time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you again, brother. I do appreciate you coming along. And uh, it, it looks like we might have retrieved old Swaggy Shane back here. Uh, Swaggy Shane, you want to tip us out here? Yeah, that old mute button. <laughs> I was talking. You just couldn't hear me. So, <laughs> all right. So it was fun. Uh, I always like talking MMA with, uh, you know, people that know what they're talking about. Uh, it's nice Allegedly. To, yeah, it's nice to have some uh, opposing views and, and same views, uh, but it was really fun. So I look forward to doing this again sometime. Um, you can find me anywhere, any social media, Swaggy Shane or Vaping Swag. Uh, that's about it. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you again for uh, coming along here, old Swaggy Shane. I do appreciate uh, and each and every one of you guys for coming along and giving me your input and just giving me a, a sounding board to, to bounce some of my thoughts of and uh, to, to get some opposing views. And, and really, you guys, uh, I, I will honestly say you've opened my eyes to uh, a couple of new perspectives on some of the things that we've got coming up. And I'm very appreciative of that. So uh, hopefully the listeners will be appreciative of the time that we've had together here. Uh, we are going to call that all for now. I do hope to get some more of these going up in the future. We are going to call that all for now, though. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen, don't let ignorance stop you. You can root for anything. Have a great one. I'm No Joe. I would just like to take a second here to officially apologize to Derek Lewis. Uh, in the moment, I thought that he had a collegiate wrestling background. Uh, upon reviewing my own bullshit, I have confirmed it was a football scholarship. He was at Kilgore College on, not wrestling. So I made a mistake. I'm human. It happens. It's going to happen more. But uh, I'd just like to interject my, uh, my own correction there before somebody else beats me to the punch. Oh, 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 oh.